Good morning, beloved. Welcome to our last Women Well of the Year. Yay! And both, right? Um, I want to say a thank you to Jerry Pryor, who's here playing piano for us today, sharing her gifts so that we can worship together. And we are going to start off our worship together with Come Now Font. You may stand if you wish, you may sit if you wish, whatever works for you. Okay.
may be seated. Sorry. And if you want, you may even open your Bibles to First Kings. Although I'm not going to follow it too closely today. Uh, I'm going to joke around. But as surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of my trouble, this is something that on his deathbed, David says to Bathsheba. And he says it because he had made a promise that Solomon would be king and things weren't going as he had promised. But this verse stuck out to me as, as the epitome of David's life and everything he stood for. And also, it jarred my memory because we had heard it before. In 2 Samuel 4, 9, David says this phrase in a similar way. As surely as the Lord lives who has delivered me out of all my trouble. Now the event that prompted David to say this in 2 Samuel 4 happens 33 years before the event in 1 Kings. So what does that speak to you? It speaks to me that David had been saying this phrase in his life over and over and over again for every trouble that he ever came across. So what I would like us to do is to make this phrase our own. As a part of our daily challenge with trouble, we can pick up this phrase and acknowledge that Jesus Christ lives within me and delivers me from all my trouble. Okay. The Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. We have seen this worked out in his life because every event of his life is an encounter with God. It isn't that David just happened to turn to God in times of trouble. No, God was always there, and so he knew immediately who to, who to go to when he was in trouble. Every moment of his life, God was there, and he knew it. In the good moments, the bad moments, in the boring moments, David knew God was always there, and he is always there for us. All the troubled moments are washed in God's holy presence for David. So David shows us how to invite God into this grace and beauty every moment of our lives. The proof that Jesus is human is that he is constantly referred to as the son of David. The story of David anticipates the story of Jesus. To get the most out of Jesus' story, we need to have soaked ourselves in David's story. David is excruciatingly human. So now David dies. No life is complete until there is a death. My first experience of death, I was 16 years old, and my neighbor died. She was my same age, we grew up together, all my memories of childhood are revolved around her and her family. She was diagnosed with aplastic anemia. I didn't know what that was, um, and I was really involved in myself. I had no idea how she was suffering. 
And then she died. And I was devastated. All of us were devastated that had grown up with her. The whole school was devastated. She was very popular. And I had another friend. There was three of us that grew up together. And her father was my pediatrician. And we went and we looked at his definition of um, medical dictionary and looked up plastic and aplastic anemia. And it said, always fatal. So if we had looked it up, we would have known that she was going to die, but we didn't know. Now, it is not fatal because everybody is cured with a bone marrow transplant. But that was my first experience of death, and I saw my other friend's mother go into that house of mourning, and I thought at age 16, I could never do that. How does she do that? I didn't know how to deal with death. So then when I was um, a senior in high school, my father was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and when I was 23, he took his life. But by this time, I had known that he was suffering. I tried to be present for him. But what struck me was how my mother's and father's friends came alongside them in their grief. The cards that they wrote meant so much to me. And so I learned from that experience how to enter into death and what it does to people. So then uh, we have to contemplate, because to be human is to die, the fact that Jesus died, that proves that he was completely human. And all four Gospels tell us a lot about his life, but go into great detail about his dying and his death and his resurrection. Forty years before David's death, he responded to the deaths of Jonathan and Saul, and he honored them in lament. And later he did the same for Abner, which we have all seen in our stories. But when David dies, no one laments him, and no one is even surrounding him but his servants, who are hired hands. His children and his wives are not there. This strikes me as extremely sad. Now, June and I have been homebound communions and have visited the, the dying for over 10 years now, and we consider it a great privilege to be invited by the families into these most intimate moments with parents and children. And we even have the privilege of some people die while we're singing to them. So, I mean, it's, you can't imagine what joy and glory that is to be a part of someone's dying. It's just beautiful. But sometimes, June and I have also seen that adult children um, manipulate their parents because they want their money now. They don't want to wait till they die. And this also seems very sad when the, when the children don't want to do what the parents want them uh, to do, but they give in. Well, anyway, so now we're going to look at 1 Kings. And I don't have time to read it all to you today, but I'm going to give you the Robin abridged version. And it kind of goes like this. David grew old, and because he was old, he couldn't get warm. Now, if you've ever visited uh, one of those places, you know they're all wrapped up in blankets. They cannot get warm. And so they thought, well, this is, this is how we treat this medical condition. We put blankets on it. So they tried a medical procedure. That's what they had in those days. 
but that didn't work. So then, that didn't work, so they searched for the fairest virgin in the land and found Abishag. So what they wanted next was a miracle cure. <laughs> and this doesn't work either. We have more technical options today than, than sweet virgins, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but Abishag couldn't get him warm or couldn't rouse him either, but she stays with him. She is a constant, silent presence. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about her. She is a contrast to the family mess that David is in. She serves and has no agenda for herself. I once heard a pastor reduce her to a human hot water bottle. Now, to me, after I learned what her presence really meant, I see that she is God's presence there for David. She's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Her introduction into this story gives dignity and beauty to, and a sacred presence to David's death. And she is silent. The family is grasping and dehumanizing. Free money is involved. Free power is involved. And that is always dehumanizing. Nothing uh, makes me more angry, as I said, is when children try to grasp from this from parents. But anyhow, uh, uh, Abishag remains quietly and beautifully there. Back to my abridged version. Number three son, Adonisha. Remember the first one? Oh gosh, no, it's named. <laughs> number one son was named, come on. At, no, Absalom was number two. Amnon. Amnon. Amnon was killed by Absalom because he raped his sister. And then Abs Absalom wants to do a, you know, he wants the kingdom now. And so he, he does this coup and then he's murdered. So now we have number three son, Adonijah. And he wants to be king right now. And he doesn't want to wait for David to die. Thus, text says he was spoiled rotten. Just like Absalom, he was very good looking. And then the text goes on to say that David never said, why are you acting the way you were acting? So Absalom gets Joab, remember, the son of Zeruiah, one of the bad guy, good guys, uh, and a priest on his side, and they crown him king. So now we have the children take control. Adonijah is impatient. So, uh, we have to contrast these two sons that want to grasp the kingdom with David, who, anointed as a very young person, has to wait over 15 years for, to be king himself. So David did not grasp his anointing, and these two sons grasped it before their time when it wasn't even theirs to grasp. So both of these sons, Absalom and um, Adonijah were handsome. Uh, it doesn't say that Adonijah had the hair, remember? Absalom's hair, that was the death of him. But anyway, what these two sons had in common was something that we now call affluenza. <laughs> they just took what they wanted and didn't care how anybody else felt like it. So Adonijah wants this, and he treats his father as though he's already dead. So let's look more at death and dying to self. Every life has limitations. 
We all have limitations. Even if you're single, you have relationships that limit you. Those closest to you limit your freedom. And sometimes we, we, we don't want that limit anymore. And we want to say, I want to be God and I want to have no freedom, uh, no freedom limited at all. Well, who limits us? Children limit parents. Bring home an, in, an infant. Oh my gosh, your life is limited. And it's limited for the rest of your life because these children, they grab you and they limit you, right? And then parents limit their children, thank goodness. David should have limited his sons, but he didn't. But parents are supposed to limit their children so they don't run out into the streets, so they don't do foolish things. And then we have this one. Spouses limit each other. I have down here no notes for this. <laughs> it's self-explanatory. You, you take vows when you get married to love, honor, obey, sickness and health, all of that. It's you are limited with each other. But Eugene Peterson, I, I got this book from the library and it's about 1st and 2nd Samuel. If you want something more to read about him, I recommend it, it's wonderful. He says, we fantasize the end of those limitations. Okay, I won't say I've never done that, but um, there, were, there were a couple people that I, I fantasized killing. The first was my grandmother, because I had to take her in when my mother remarried, and she was awful. Even my three-year-old daughter at the time didn't like her. But anyway, so, so you know what? I thought, well, I could put rhododendron leaves in her tea. You know? <laughs> Nobody noticed. But anyway, but my husband kept saying, look, this is really hard. Let's, let's find a place for her to go. And I kept saying, no, the Lord wants her here. He told me he wants her here. I'm just going to, we're just going to get through this. Anyhow, so one day she's taking her dress off her head and she fell. I called 911. She went to the hospital and shortly after that died. Well, she could have lived another 10 years. But and when I told this story to my granddaughter, who sat in trouble with waiting for something right now, I said, you've got to wait for the Lord's time. And I told her that story, and she said, man, that's just like Abigail and Nabal when he fell over and broke his neck. Anyway, I thought it was funny at the time. <laughs> All right, so then the next thing is it never works to take matters in your own hands. God's plan for our lives, like God's plan for David, is to wait in all things, even when those closest to us become impossible to love. So we have to honor our limits to deepen our own life. Jesus gave himself limits when he was born as a baby, and he limited himself to the human race, and he tied himself to us to the very end. And this is the pattern that we are to imitate. This gives dignity to death. We set aside our limits and honor those we are tied to. And doing this takes a daily death. We die to ourselves daily. And then Eugene Peterson gives this quotation. To rid yourself of inconvenient lives that seem to interfere with your living results not in more life for you, but less. He goes on to say that Adonijah, in failing to honor David in his dying, hastens 
his own. Back to my abridged version. But Bathsheba and Nathan went to David and reminded him, even though Adonijah is trying to crown himself over in another part of town, that he had promised to make Solomon king. So Bathsheba finally comes to David, and who's there? Abishag, silent. Abishag is with him at all times, but no one else in his family is. Bathsheba is only interested in what he can do for her son, because David hasn't made a will. So, what did David do? This roused him, and he proclaimed Solomon king. This is bad news for Adonijah and Joab, son of Zeruiah, but Solomon forgave them both. Now, Bathsheba doesn't get the last word, if you keep reading, and I hope if you haven't read 1 Kings 1 and 2 and following, that you will. She doesn't get the last word because what happens is Solomon's on the throne, everything's going well, and Adonijah comes to her and he says, Oh, Bathsheba, would you do me a favor? And she says, Oh, of course, whatever you want. And he says, I really want Abishag as a wife. And Bathsheba says, okay, I'll go to Solomon and ask him for you. She probably never liked Abishag anyway. But she goes in, Solomon's on his throne. Mother, he says, I'm so glad to see you. Come and bring her throne, bring her to the throne. Put my mother right here beside me. Oh, mother, it's good to see you. What can I do for you today? And she says, would you give Abishag to Adonijah, and Solomon hits the roof. That's the same as handing him the kingdom. Solomon has the last word. We never hear from Bathsheba again, and Adonijah, because of that, gets himself killed. You have to read it. <laughs> you have to read it. Joab doesn't end very well either. Okay, so... Let's look at Abishag. She is a powerful silence. She is silently present, just like the Holy Spirit. She's a witness to the dignity of death, just like the Holy Spirit. Her name is placed without comment, just like the Holy Spirit. She appears in every instance of attempt to deny or ignore the sacred mystery of death. At Jesus' death, there were women they were powerful in their silence. They were silently present even at the cross. They were a witness to the dignity of Jesus' death. Their presence is placed there without comment. They validate the sacred mystery of Jesus' death. And Mary, his friend, was the first to witness his resurrection. All four gospel writers make a point of telling us about these women who were there. So death, in summary, sometimes brings out the worst in people. Sometimes it's treated like a problem to be fixed. Sometimes it's treated like an opportunity to be grasped. This is what we learned from David's children, and this is what we learn when we watch people today. So what do we know about Jesus' death? First of all, he experienced death. And then we experience death because we are human. We face 
what Jesus faced. We see Jesus move from crucifixion to resurrection. Now, as we daily die to ourself, sometimes the suffering that we are in is so excruciating we cannot see the presence of God there. And then we can cry like Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when the suffering becomes too hard? I see many of you nodding your heads. In your deepest hour, you do not see God. When that happens, ask your friends to pray for you, saying, I do not see God in this issue. And eventually, you will get to the place of resurrection and joy again. And that is participating daily in the resurrection life that Jesus offers. Because after we suffer, we come to a place of triumph. And then we see that God has not turned his back on us, but has been there all along. Jesus says in John 12, 24 through 25, listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never more than a grain of wheat. It just stays a little seed. Nothing ever happens. But if it is buried and sprouts, it reproduces itself many times over. This is a picture of what happens to you when you die to yourself, remember your limits to those you love, love in the hard times, love in the good times. You're dying to self and that will sprout many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just like that, as it is, and doesn't die to self, doesn't take that grain of wheat and put it in the ground, you destroy your life. You become like Adonijah and Absalom. But if you let it go, restless in your love, you have it real, forever, and eternal. Our death and dying is significant. When we are buried, we are tied to those whom we have influenced. When my grandmother died, the one who was so difficult, no one wept for her. As she was dying, my mother and her other daughter, my aunt, didn't even come to visit her. They were not at her bedside. I was. I was the one. And I wept. I was the only one who wept. And I wept because here was a wasted life. She could have influenced so many people for good, but they were all just glad that she was gone. Jesus goes on to say in John 12, if any of you wants to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll be where I am, ready to serve at a moment's notice. The Father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. We honor and follow Jesus as he honored the limits that he put on himself. We follow him daily into that darkness, trusting he will turn it into life. And we remember this with communion. And Ryan is going to come, and as he's coming, I would just like us to say this together. When I was teaching memory scripture, we'd always start with a reference. First Kings 1.29. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I would challenge you in the next day or two to sit by yourself 
and write down all the troubles that Jesus has ever delivered you from. And then, write, make a list of the troubles you want him to deliver you from now. I have a huge list of things he's delivered me from, but I still have troubles right now. One trouble that I'm in right now will never get better until glory. And the other trouble I'm in right now is a daily trusting for someone else's help. These are the things, the troubles, that Jesus is delivering us from. And then, Nan, when you come to, um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead and have a seat. I forgot, we're going to sing a song. <laughs> I got a little excited. Okay, so, so we're going to start singing, and we're, we're going to sing one song before communion, When I Survey the Wonders Cross. Thank you. Those cards are totally so